Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. Mikey Dread. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello, and you are listening to Let's Drone Out. Uh, this may be the last ever Let's Drone Out. Um, if you're my boss, I'm sorry. Uh, for legal reasons, Curry, read the disclaimer. Any of you, I think this is the full disclaimer. It's the only one I could find. Any views expressed by any guests, especially that one down there, uh, on this show are personal and may not reflect the views of others. If you are of a nervous disposition, easily get offended, or don't want to end up on some sort of government list, please do not watch this show. Tonight, you are joined by everyone's favourite curry kitten. Hello. Everyone's favourite cruise missile supplier, XJet. Hello. You need to. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you need to say hello. And I'm, I'm Brighton Tie Fly. Hello and welcome. Xjet, clearly the dementia has fully set in, therefore you've agreed to come on this show. How come you've never come sooner? Because like we've seen you in the chat, but you never you never once got back to any of our emails. Were you you like, sounded just like my wife when you said that. <laughs> what do you mean you've come already? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, if you watched my last video, you'll have seen a, a, a hint as to how many unread emails are in my inbox <laughs> i think it's at nine thousand. there if i've got a bit of backlog but of catching up to do so yeah it's just a random thing if i read an email because there's so many there you know i just take a lottery every day and i'll read that one today from 1872 and uh so you've you know you, you've been in the chat and we've invited you on yeah but never thought <laughs> it's to just shoot. no that's silly <laughs> You yeah, one fun. of the problems with chats is quite often that the time frames don't sync up that well because I live on the other side of the world. Um, and so we are at the moment 13 hours different to you. But fortunately, as I as my Parkinson's thing kicks in, I get up really early in the morning. And so I've been up already for about, what's the time now? I've been up for about um, four hours. Is that just so you can suffer more? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, it's important to suffer. Um, you see the, the lashing marks on my back and things. But no, it's just you can't sleep. Parkinson's deprives you of the ability to get sustained periods of sleep, so you just live with it. Oh, man. I'm so Are sorry. you at least using the extra time usefully to do stuff, though? Yes. Like coming yes. on this fine show? Absolutely. And it's, mm. This has been the pinnacle of my career at the moment. I'm going to mark this up. You know, Another it's another bucket list here. ticked it's off. You know? Yep. Can only so, be downhill from here. You... You, you've you've run a successful RC channel. Uh, you've made a is it a Pulse Jet uh, ride along one? You've made a cruise missile. You're also the most reported person to Caster or whatever you say your CAA equivalent. Caster, oh, we have lots of that? them. 
Uh, well, yeah. yeah, we have CAA. We have a CAA yeah. here. It's not like the English oh. one. We don't have oh. tea and muffins. We have coffee and biscuits. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you got yourself reported loads. Uh, you've you've kind of tried to defend the hobby and, you know, uh, go to loads of meetings and, you know, try and fight for the right of the hobby. Um, And you've also, like, you know, back in the day was teaching us, I still to this day buy five motors and five ESCs to build a quad (laughs) because of you. It's good. Well, I get to blame Bruce for all my fixed wing flying. The the reason, although you can only see one plane here, the reason I've got planes is because... When I was getting into the hobby, I, I built a tricopter, and that was all David Winnerstill's fault. And I've pointed it out to my wife and saying, he, that's him, he's responsible for the money. And I will say, that's Bruce, he's responsible for the planes. Because you did your AXN, how to build an AXN video, and I still remember, you must do your, flex your, flex your things um, and put it control together. Control surfaces. Yes, yeah, your control surfaces. And I followed that, and, well, I say flew, flew my first plane, mostly threw it into the ground because I, I happened to have the ailerons reversed. But that got me into it, which was a very, very useful uh, set of videos about like this is how you put a plane together. Brilliant. I can follow that now. Off and running. Yeah, well, those were the days, eh? Those were the early days. It was good. It's interesting that um, we went to the park and flew, you probably saw the video, flew our, our float planes and things at the local park. And it was amazing, the public response. You know, if you go out there and you fly a drone on your own, all the Karens come out and try and, you know, push you into the water. But if you're flying model planes with friends it's like the public's response is totally different there were people lining up to see what was going on kids were going oh look at the plane and it was like such a positive such a you know friendly kind of environment because model model planes fixed wing they seem to be totally different to drones by the public and that's really annoying because as someone who's engaged in both camps i know that you know when we fly freestyle or or proximity whatever with the drones we're Really, it's just another form of model aircraft. We're not out there to spy on people or film them in their bathrooms. Um, the public don't make that distinction, and the regulators don't make any distinction. That's what really annoys me, is that when you look at any of the rules around the world, if it flies and it's remotely controlled, it's a drone. You know, It can be a quarter-scale P-51 Mustang with a petrol motor in it, or it can be a Mavic Mini, as far as the regulator is concerned. It's all the same. They don't have a clue. And the public doesn't appreciate that, because I was talking to some of them saying, you know, well, someone came along with a Mavic Mini and they put it on the table and I said, who can tell me which one of these is a drone? They all pointed to the Mavic. And they, they didn't know, the public didn't know that our Super Easies and our Tundras are also drones, according to the regulator. And they're regulated like drones. And I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair. And I have enjoyed your, your general attitude and I, I have to go wholeheartedly behind this, although I can't encourage members of the public to do so necessarily, to say, you know what? If I'm out on my own, flying on my own, and I'm in a big field and there's no one there, that is safer. But according to the law, it's more dangerous than if you could take it to a place where you're 50 metres away from people. It's just oh, nonsensical. I'm always I'm always much more happy to, to follow the common sense than uh, something somebody's made up in a, a government institution where they probably haven't ever looked at a drone or flown a drone or... That's exactly it. We have to be qualified to do what we do, but they're not qualified to make the rules to tell us what to do. It's like getting the tea lady in the hospital to write the manual for brain surgery. They've never done it, but, you know, they've seen it. I've heard from other people how it works, but, 
they're not qualified to do that. It, it really annoys the, the snot out of me. Um, and nobody listens. And the, the thing that worries me most these days is it's not about safety. They say it's about safety, but it's all about control and security. It's all about protecting us from the evil bad people, the bad actors like my spotter, Arnie. Um, and it's it's disingenuous. The, what they present is totally disingenuous because we are already the safest form of aviation that's ever been. I mean, as I keep saying, whenever anyone rolls up and says, you can't do that, you know, the rules, show me the bodies, show me the, show me one body. There, isn't, there are no bodies. Um, but you look at what happens every day with aviation. I think in the UK, was it the UK, a couple, someone died in a paraglider incident recently. Someone was filming someone else with a paraglider and they collided. Now, if they'd be filming them with a drone, I don't think anyone would have died. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's loads of uh, we only generally hear about the big plane crashes, but there's there's hundreds and thousands of light airplanes uh, going down all over the world on a daily basis, but pilot error, uh, mechanical error, all that sort of stuff. And of course, with drones, generally speaking, if you're flying in a field and a drone drops out the sky, uh, you know you'll break a prop. It's not manned. Uh, as long as you're not being silly and over people or over houses and cars, you you've got nothing to worry about. But yeah, any sort of manned aviation's obviously got an inherent risk to it, much and much above uh, model flying. Yeah, it's also interesting because they say, "Oh, drone drone flyers are, are more reckless and they're more dangerous." I did the I crunched the numbers here in New Zealand, and on a per capita basis, if you take the number of people who fly drones versus the number of people who fly manned aircraft, the manned aviation community generates more incidents, more safety incidents every year per capita than the drone population does. So the the drone flyers are better behaved than the manned aviators, but we still have this push for more regulation, more control, more restriction, when we're not the problem. Yeah, yeah, but you don't need to regulate them because they, uh, they've they got their life on the line. Skin in the game, you know, that's one of these fallacies yeah. that, that, yeah, that that regulators will always roll out, oh yes, but, but manned aviators have skin in the game, and which means they, you must, they must never make bad decisions. They must never uh, do things that recklessly endanger themselves. Look at the number of people that die every year because they make stupid decisions while flying a manned aircraft. You know, in New Zealand, the vast majority of fatalities involved illegal low flying in New Zealand. These are people with skin in the game, but they still choose to break the rules and go below 500 feet and bang into things like wires and hills and whatever. It's like, uh, that's, that's a fallacy. Skin in the game means nothing. Yeah, that would be like saying everybody on the roads must be a good driver. Otherwise, you know, they'd be risking their lives. But everybody does every day, every time they get on the road. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's also, it's about managing risk, not about eliminating risk. You know, the regulators like to say, we want a, you know, um, a culture of safety, we want to, you know, get rid of the risk. You can't, you can only manage risk. And you're more likely to to die driving to the flying field than flying at the flying field. It's, it, we don't we don't say, well, we're going to eliminate all the risk associated with motor vehicles by banning cars. Yeah, we could do that, but it's a trade-off between the, the benefits we get versus the risks we, we take. So with flying drones, it's like any recreational activity. There is a benefit to your mental well-being, your health, your outlook on life, and that has to be weighed against the risks. And I think already we're over-regulated. Yeah. I mean, I last week we had on one of the BF, BFMA people, one of our, our big model clubs, in, in the UK here, but what what I'm after, I'm not after, you know, saying like this is great insurance and, and our clubs are amazing. I'm after just being able to go out, finding a nice place, a green place away from stuff and just being able to fly and not have to really think about it and not have no drone notices put, put up everywhere and people not coming up and saying, you can't fly here, this is, this is dodgy. That's, that, that's the dream. 
It is. It was the dream. I mean, when I was a kid and I was a little lad building free flight and control line models, we'd get down to the local schoolyard or the park and I'd launch a free flight model in the middle of town and it would circle around and land in someone's backyard. That was fine. You'd just knock on the door. Can I get my plane back, please? Yes, go get the plane back. And we'd fly control line in a park with people standing like, you know, 10 feet from the edge of the control line circle while the plane was drowned. People had a greater sense of being responsible for their own actions back then, not relying on someone else to take responsibility for them and, and, and to hide behind a set of rules. You just, you know, acted responsibly. And like at the park, it was so good to see so many of the public interested in what we're doing now. There seems to be a move, and this is happening around the world in the USA. The FAA wants to push people into free as little grassy fields in the middle of nowhere so the hobby can't be seen and therefore it'll just dwindle and peter out and die. In Australia, if you want to fly FPV, you've got to do it at a um, an approved flying field run by the MAAA or whatever they are over there, the equivalent of the BMFA. You've got to be on a on a club flying field to fly FPV. You can't do it outside of that. It's like they're trying to corral us and separate us from the rest of the community so that they can effectively just shut us down by attrition. Um, and unless we are out there in front of the public, in the public eye, so that kids can see these things and get excited and enthused about it, we are going to face a, a pretty sorry future as a hobby. Yeah, it's all about um, giving kids iPads and pacifying them. I mean, like, yeah. here's the screen. You'll need this for later on when you get your your job at your office desk. I mean, um, there, there's a lot to be said for, like, accountability now. Is you know, like, I remember one time I got hit by a bus and I had to tell the bus driver not to call the the incident team and I was just like, I would look, dude. I was stood in the middle of the road arguing with a taxi driver. I was in the middle of it's my fault. I'm the bet. Like I put my hands up, you know. Like when I'm a bell end, I can be like, "Yep, that was uh, <sighs> that was my fault. Definitely. Don't worry about it because all it's going to do is like delay a load of people from getting where they're going. Bus full of people, and I was in the way." You know, it delays everyone's day. He's probably going to get in trouble. You know, like all the insurance companies are going to hear about it or whatever. And I've probably got mild concussion as the bus pressed against my face. Was but, the bus you know, right? Yeah, man, totally. Oh, right. It was fine, fine. But like, you know, I shouldn't have been there arguing with being a bell end, arguing with a taxi driver and, you know, isn't that a start of a joke? Oh, I know. You know, but now it's all like, you know, we've got to sue everyone and, you know, like the bus has got to make noises like a, tr you know, trumpet noise. It's like reversing lorries. They used to make a beeping noise and now everyone's got used to the beeping noise and it's just background noise now. You've got to have the um, the static <laughs> noise of the, of, the, of the lorry reversing, you know, and that's... It, it's essentially yeah. everyone's become a snowflake. Like yeah. You can't play yeah. conkers at school anymore. And um, one one of the the videos I watched, Bruce, was uh, you were talking about like the the fight against regulation and how like not many people were, were going behind it. And it's just I'm just wondering if for for a lot of people, um, because FPV got very popular and drones got very popular because it was going to be like oh it's the, the the next big sport and people were like throwing money at it in these drone races and people were getting into it big time. But as soon as a, a sort of hurdle comes up where it's going to be like, oh, are you going to have to get registration or, oh, these aren't very popular, aren't they? Everybody seems to hate them. Rather than fighting, a lot of people are sort of saying, 
this is just too much hassle for me. Forget it. I'm going to go do something else. I'm not. I'm not that interested. Why should I bother? And I think the sort of the core flyers that are really into it is even smaller. So then the, the percentage of those people who are willing to fight for it is smaller again. And it just reduces, reduces. Eventually, it'd just be one guy waving a flag saying, let me fly, and everybody just ignoring him. Yeah, that's the attrition. We're just going to be, you know, they, they can't regulate us out straight away. So they're just doing it step by step, quarantine us to small fields, and we, re, we disappear from the public eye, and then nobody joins the hobby and eventually the problem that is the hobby goes away and all the commercial operators have got the sky to themselves or whatever the agenda may be. But it, it is incredibly a shame. I've, I've never seen a community that on the one hand is so supportive of each other and, and you know, it, like especially the FPV community, everybody knows everybody and if someone needs a hand, someone steps in and we're all sharing information, it's fantastic. But when it comes to standing up for rights, I mean, look at the FPV Freedom Coalition in the USA. I was on their Discord meeting yesterday. There were nine people. This is a body that represents all the FPV flyers in the USA. Nine people took the time to actually go on Discord and participate in the discussion. That's the level of, uh, you know, um, collective concern about some of the things. And uh, regulators are very, very clever. I've been working with bureaucrats and politicians for years. I know all the little tricks and things. They are so damn clever because it's happening around the world too, especially in the USA. The FAA brought out the CBO concept, community-based organisation, and they are effectively bribing some of the larger entities in the hobby to get their way. They've said to these potential CBOs like the AMA and others, well, if you do this, and they issued a, a guideline, a, an advisory with the things they wanted from an organisation that was going to become a CBO, if you do this, then we'll give you special privilege. You can have a freer where your members can go and fly without remote ID and all this sort of stuff. You know, we'll give you this if you give us that. This is sort of a, some would call it a trade-off, I call it a bribe, so that um, organisations like the AMA are saying, yes, yes, that's fine. Oh, we've, we've done wonderful things. Look, at we've got this remote ID thing. You, our members don't have to have remote ID because they can fly in our freers. And it's just it, they're bribing the hobby organisations to cast aside the rights, the freedoms of their members, the ones they've enjoyed for decades without any problems, show me the bodies, um, and, and they're selling their souls to the devil to get a little bit of concession. It's happening in Australia as well and in, in Canada. The hobby organisations, and probably in the UK too, hobby organisations will get special privilege. If you're a member of the national flying body, you will have areas where you can fly without necessarily all the rules applying to you. But if you want to go down to the park or the uh, the beach or the local school grounds, well, then you've got a ton of regulation to deal with. And that's designed to keep get people out of those spaces. Um, it's, it's, it's I just hate the way that these organisations that are supposed to represent the hobby uh, are not doing an effective job. They're looking out for their members and they forget that not everyone in the hobby is a member of these organisations. And the AMA especially, the AMA looks out for the AMA. It, it is, that's their primary goal is to make sure the AMA survives and prospers. Whereas in back in the day, probably a great many of the people who flew model aircraft were members of one of these bodies. But today, the vast majority of people are not because the whole hobby's changed. You can go and buy a foamy from Banggood uh, for you know 100 quid, go down and you've got a radio control model transmitter receiver. You can fly at the local park, a little P-51 Mustang or something, you know, those fantastic little things. Um, you don't have to belong to the BMFA or any other group to do that. But under the way regulation's going, you you will have to, or you know you won't be able to fly where you want to fly. It is, I, I just as someone, I'm fortunate that I grew up in an era when all this didn't happen. We didn't have the culture of victim. Oh my goodness, who can I blame for my problems today? Um, it's a case of today. There's always someone else responsible, and 
I, I just, I don't know. So that's why I sort of started this Harry Day concept and said, look, I'm just going to, you know, carpe diem and I'm just going to make sure I don't endanger people or their property. And if other people don't like that, then that is actually their problem, not mine. I like it. Yeah. We should all do it. You, I mean, it, did some of the squeezing out, sorry, Jack, I thought you going to say, some of the squeezing out I found it in, in terms of how people are, are giving up. Um, as you said, it's not so much the regulation. It's, at least in the UK, trying to find somewhere to fly now. I mean, the UK's always been dodgy because if you've got something bigger than a garden, then the houses or flats will go up. And if you've got a big green space and the, the weather's nice, then people decide to have picnics there and things. So there's always a little bit dodgy. But even we found, like, NJ had this problem. He was on, he was flying on, like, thousands of acres of this sort of uh, park and they had one complaint from a dog walker about a drone and suddenly the entire place and like it's such a huge place is saying no no drones anywhere ever without fail because we've had a complaint and it's that it's, it's it, both the blame culture as like a victim i'm a victim of harassment by a drone therefore don't fly any drones and the people are just not prepared to stand up for anything as, as soon as there's a complaint it's like well we must ban that it's like i don't like gluten get rid of all the gluten it's the world's problem apparently now so we we must we must do something about it it's just um craziness yeah craziness. it's it's like the problems i had here in in Tokara with the local council they were strongly against no drones in the parks no drones in the parks there were regular dog attacks in the parks you can walk your dog and it can maul somebody it's okay because well dog you know but a drone oh no you can't have a drone in the park it took me 5 years roughly to finally get them to concede that drones could be flown in the parks and in the, what is it, I think three years since they changed the rules, not one drone-related incident in our parks because the reality was so different from the the, the doom because one of the guys said, oh, if we have drones in the parks, there'll be all sorts of problems. People will complain they're being photographed and there'll be people hurt. Didn't come to pass. But the problem is there is a public perception that is so out of touch with reality. I blame the Daily Mail. But we have had this, this thing where the, the media has tried to vilify drones and I have a personal campaign. Every time I see an anti-drone story, I write to the the media, the, the editor or the reporter preferably, and say, look, you've got it wrong and here's the truth. And if we all did that, I think we'd find that if, every time they published an anti-drone story, they got hundreds of, of angry emails. I think they may suddenly take a slightly different tack because the media is just so out of touch. Look at Gatwick. I mean, unbelievable. I, can, I still see Gatwick being go. referenced as an example of how drones are going to bring down airliners and things. And I'm thinking, if this is your threshold for proof, um, I saw a drone, no photographic evidence, nothing. Then, then you know, um, how are we going to do anything sensible if you have such a low threshold for proving, you know, all you need to shut down an airport is a telephone. Yeah. The scariest thing about Gatwick, it was the story that was bright. I was on holiday at the time. I, I was so outraged. I made a video from a cruise ship. But I saw it unfolding and it was like about a subject I knew. And I was like, well, this none of this is true. What are they talking about? And yet it kept spiralling and spiralling. It's like, when's it going to stop? And it didn't. It just carried on and on and on. And it's it got more outlandish as it went. And still, even even though like we've been we've been able to sort of almost conclusively prove that you know there wasn't a drone apart from that one police drone. Drones can't fly for two hours and and buzz the rainy, control tower dark, and things like that. Windy, yeah, raining. It was dark. It was windy. Um, none of this stuff happens. This thing that somebody swore was was definitely a drone. We we could see was a helicopter when we looked at the the, the sort of the traffic control monitoring stuff, um, and yet 
the great British public will always say, oh, yeah, well, Gatwick, that was bad, wasn't it, with your drones? I mean, mm. I, I have a friend that's a uh, like an air traffic controller, and they actually said, it wasn't you, was it? <laughs> like, A, I would admit if it was, but like, no, there was no drone, honest. Here in New Zealand, they're reviewing the drone regulations. They want to bring in registration, remote ID, all that crap. Not on my watch. But um, they cited Gatwick as the reason why we need to have registration. And and I tore a strip off them in my submission and said, if this is if this is the, credi- the, the level of accuracy in the research you've done to, to justify new regulations, then you can throw them all out the window because you've done no research. You're, you're working on hearsay because Gatwick is simply hearsay. No evidence was ever produced. And you've seen Ian um, doing all the... Uh, freedom of information requests, slowly teasing the information out of the Department for Transport and CAA and the and Gatwick. And th- they don't even have a description of the drone. There was not even a description of the drone. Someone basically said, I saw a drone. What did it look like? I don't know. <laughs> like, really. But look at the way it affected the hobby. That poor guy with his wife in the helicopter. Immediately, the hobby was vilified. Oh, he had a helicopter. It must be him. Let's let's get him. We, as a hobby, are being dragged along with the, the very, very small number of incidents where someone with a camera drone has done something stupid. And it is a very small number of incidents. Look in the USA, there are over, I think, million registered recreational drone operators. How many incidents involving drones near airports do you see every year? Very, very few. For a million participants in that particular hobby to see maybe four or five incidents a year, that's next to nothing. How many incidents, how many times do manned aircraft crash into neighbourhoods, suburban neighbourhoods in the same period of time. It's about the same. And people die when you crash a Cessna into a, you know, a house. So uh, I just, the safety, again, I have to say that this whole thing about being safety, it's not. This safety has nothing to do with it. It's all, there's other motives. And I wouldn't mind if they just came out and said, oh, look, we're doing this because we want to make space for commercial drones or something. But they're lying to us. They're being disingenuous. And if you can't believe the regulator and the government. Who can you believe? I mean, governments, they're fine, upstanding institutions. They would never lie to us. All right, we're almost to 25 <laughs> minutes of ranting and whinging. How about a question? All right, Richard Warwick asks, I'd love to see Bruce fly planes with his mates. Could he hand over the camera to someone else and show Run Can Ron how it's done? Have you seen Ron's glasses? He can't see past the end of his nose. That explains a lot. No, actually, I did give the camera to Neil on the weekend. It's actually a lot harder to track models and, and, and get footage than people think. I've been doing it for over a decade, so I've had plenty of practice. And even with my shaky hands, um, I, can, I can still do a reasonable job. It's actually really hard to track models with a camera to get good camera footage. So I often give the camera to people, but often the results are not particularly usable. They might do like half an hour's filming and I get like 10 seconds. So, yeah, I'd love to feature more on the videos but there's just no one there to do the camera work unfortunately i i had a question because i i teased you in my email about or or the ama about the part twos um and the 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 fact you've you've left us hanging on many many of them one thing i remember today is at some point you had this um sort of prototype hobby king turbine and uh, i remember you started testing it and then nothing did it just not work or is uh, yeah, it, it didn't work. I, I went back to Hobby King. The, <laughs> the ECU was faulty. And I said, look, the ECU on this thing isn't working. Can you, shall I send it back or can you send me a replacement? Nothing. No response. <laughs> no, that was it. You know, like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I waited and no, and they didn't say send the turbine back and, or, you know, here's a new ECU. So I think they probably realised that 
this is a product that could get us into a lot of trouble because if you mistreat a electric motor or a lipo, they go and smoke comes out. But with a turbine, it has the potential to kill people. <laughs> and uh, they might have decided, well, this is a convenient way for us perhaps not to get into that because also the support hurdles would have been significant. Um, going back that far, turbines still required a lot of maintenance and um, weren't always totally reliable. So I think they decided that they didn't want to pursue the product. Uh. That's a shame. I mean, they're not exactly yeah. cheap and easy to fly with now, I'm told. No, they're certainly no. expensive. Yeah, they're a lot more expensive. Because they didn't do particularly well then. in their, their, their sort of pulse jet, did they? I remember that needed sort of grinding down and all sorts. Of, had little, Yeah, they just copied a Dynajet, but they got it made very cheaply and the material was so thin that it perforated and, and the, the welding was really crap. I think they did a better version later on. I mean, the, the, the actual, the head was really well machined and everything, and I've got about 200 reed valves I bought from them because they really were nicely made reed valves. But um, the body itself was just a crap, total crap. Um, I've got two of them. One of them's still operative. The other one just basically blew a hole in itself. So I'm going to make up another body for that some stage and use the head because I've got a another Pulse Jet Long Easy planned for this summer. Oh, nice. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Caroline Taylor asks, Hey Bruce, how are your pulse jets lately? They're fine. They're just humming along. I've actually I've got to do some more pulse jet stuff. The back of my um, workshop is pretty inaccessible because it's just full of junk. I've got to have a tidy up. Every time I think I'll have a tidy up, I never get it done. So I will tidy it up hopefully this summer. It's no good in the winter. It's too cold out there. It gets down to 10 degrees Celsius. No one can live in those sort of conditions. <laughs> oh I, I, I think the, the public response at the lake would have been interesting if you had a pulse jet there instead of the nice the nice floaty planes let's just bring out the mm. machine and see how that goes down yeah one of the bigger pulse jets i built on the dragster um when we started that up uh, the, the council has a noise control officer who's there to you know parties and things like you can't make too much noise you know what they're like a little clipboard and high-vis jacket and he we started our pulse jet up because we had a film crew from discovery there doing a program on it and we started the pulse jet up. We did a couple of runs up and down the runway with this big dragster. We're just putting it away, and this council vehicle pulls up. And um, he says, oh, oh, I, I heard a noise. What's going on? And we explained to him. Apparently, he'd been four kilometres away behind a hill when he heard this rumbling noise, <laughs> and he decided to come <laughs> and find out what it was all about. But no one complained because, uh, oh, yes, we did have one complaint. They're running drag racing on the on the runway one day with all these really noisy dragsters. And we started the pulse jet up and the people from the drag races come over and said, could you not run that please? It's too loud. That <laughs> <laughs> says a lot about exactly how loud those things are. Yeah. Uh, Swanee Bean goes, how did these fools get X-Jet on? Uh, how I did got this paid happen? large amounts of money. I'm about to retire with the large amounts of money they paid me to do this. We use that, right, we use that YouTube money as anyone yeah. on YouTube knows you're, you're millionaires. So we just, Gave him a bit of that, and that was good. That's we all have a little from. club here, and we just we exchange. Like this week, um, I think Curry's got the, the Bentley, and I've got his Lambo this week. So we just you know, change things around. We're all very well well off, very rich, very very rich. Uh, Failsafe FPV says, "What has been your worst crash slash mistake in the hobby?" Crash, 
crash. I'm not familiar with this term. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everything is a mistake. Uh, I don't know. Unplanned landing. Unplanned, la- unscheduled. That's it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't know. I so many to choose from. I, I'm sport for choice. I'm afraid. Uh, Clive asks, will you be doing a tour of New Zealand this year if the COVID crap allows? That's always been my plan to do a bit of a scenic tour. I've got to get a, uh, another drone actually um, for doing cinematic stuff. I've got one which I've lost. It's around somewhere. But um, yeah, I need to get something with a slightly better camera. I'm running a Runcam 4K hybrid and the, the frame I've got has the props in view so I have to crop them out so it doesn't look that good. But I'll build myself a new drone and, and do a bit of a, a tour also with some fixed wing stuff because I want to go right to the limits of visual line of sight. I would never exceed that, of course, um, and get some shots of some of the more scenic parts of the country. I, I've got a personal request. Could you, if you ever see iForce 2D again, will you give him a poke and let him know that I quite liked his videos? Yeah, sure. Chris is a great guy. Um, I know. He drops in from time to time. He's moved a bit further away uh, in his new place, but he still drops in occasionally. So if he does, I grab the camera and I shall tell him about you and his that you uh, you enjoy yeah, his work? Yeah I've, yeah, I've emailed him. I mean, like, I think he's a wizard because he got a Storm 32 gimbal to work and I've, I've tried everything. Oh, uh, I'm going to read this in what I translate this as. Uh, Swanee Bean says, I never watch these dickheads, but I do love X-Jet. Um, <laughs> and then he had a follow-up one, which, all in caps... Very shouty. Extra, ask them their views on registration and regulations. Yeah, what's your views on regulation and registration? I don't like either of them. I'm very much on the opinion that people should be responsible enough to not fly like idiots. Um, I don't think you need a spotter. I think you can do beyond visual line of sight quite safely, depending on where you are and how you fly. (laughs) So are you on the offenders list? Is your name on that CAA's little Raspberry Pi they keep by the bedside that costs four million quid? Who can tell? They they haven't. <laughs> well, did I register? With, is if that's the question? Yes, I had to. Else, my wife threatened to do things to my testicles that I didn't like, involving taking them off and putting them in a jar somewhere. So yeah, for the sake of um, keeping keeping it all sweet indoors, yes. But. Uh, obviously, that's that's pointless. I mean, y- you don't have to be rocket science to say uh, if you're intent on doing bad things, you wouldn't register. And therefore, if your drone is caught doing something bad, then they can't track you back. But they can potentially say, oh, here's a drone here who's on the registration list locally. Let's go round their houses and raid them all. So it's, it's many, many bad things, but I, I couldn't get away from doing it, unfortunately. Are you telling me that a bank robber would not use his own registered vehicle to perform the job? I, I hear sometimes they borrow other people's and don't give them back. Ooh. What if the police are Quite aware clever, of clever, really, because it can really <laughs> throw uh, police off the scent. I don't know. <laughs> They're geniuses, clearly. <laughs> I've, I've heard in fictional uh, material that they spend a lot of time dremeling off the uh, serial numbers of weapons and stuff. You know, just... You know, apparently, yeah, and they yeah. sit there and try and re-etch it back. I think they should um, ban Dremels or grinding tools. Yes, that's, the and case. That's, that's, that's like when people say, you know, oh, but, but they could put explosives on a drone and, and fly it and blow someone up, and it's not a drone problem; that's an explosives problem. Where they get the explosives from? 
Don't give out the drone. Yeah. I mean, they could put it explosives on a bicycle or use a trebuchet or a catapult. The drone is not the important part of that equation. It's the explosives. Why have people got access to explosives? Because they're fun. <laughs> I, I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when I it's finally like get around, when I get around to publishing my book, um, it's a horror story of what I've done with explosives over the years. No, uh, Swanee, I know. I, I was, I was. It was it's for com- comedy thing. I know you said I never watch these dudes, but I do love X Chat. I know, I know. It was. It, <laughs> I was trying to be funny. I'm sorry. It's I'm English. <laughs> I'm not actually that funny. People. I know. I'm sorry. We we uh, we know. So so not to be uh, deliberately controversial, but you you mentioned uh, writing a book, Bruce, because you did write about cru- building a cruise missile, um, how one could do this at home, and this caused some outrage from again the the press saying this is this is crazy we're letting this 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 crazy man build cruise missiles that that can't be good what is the the the, the cruise missile story behind that because i remember the cover for it and i can't remember it was it was a fun title uh, missile man or something wasn't it called yeah. something like that yeah, yeah. yeah. It, well it was an interesting time in my life and and it's the cornerstone of, of my book but um it was just after 911 and i was and i wasn't actually flying model aircraft oh. at the time but um, I looked at and I thought, look, why would you hijack an airliner when you can actually build a look at the German V1? I look how rudimentary and fundamental it was and look at the impact it had, not from the in terms of the actual damage it caused, but remember that terrorism was, is all about terror, creating a, a climate of terror. And it was extremely effective. The V1 and V2s were fantastically effective at that. And I thought, well, yeah, how hard would it be to build a real V1 these days? And of course, I was making pulse jets as a, as a hobby and also as a small sideline business. So I thought, well, I'll just go through the motions. And I ordered some stuff from eBay and got some stainless steel from the local metal merchant and some polystyrene foam from the local hardware shop and some fiberglass from the boat boat shop. And I built a cruise missile with a pulse jet on it, top speed of probably about 600 kilometres an hour, a range of probably around about 100 miles, 160 kilometres. We do not enforce this (laughs) behaviour. Yeah, do not try this at home. Um, It was a proof of concept. And I thought, well, it is really, really easy. I wonder, you know, does the world realise just how easy this is? I'm sure that the bad actors would have already scoped this out and they'd know they could do this if they wanted to. But what what the, even myself at that stage didn't quite understand that there is martyrdom is a big thing. You know, if you want to make a point, well, it's much easier to get some ideologically crazed young person and strap a backpack on them full of bad stuff and send them into a crowd. That's what creates terror, um, not some high-tech piece of gear that someone's built in their garage. So I thought I should alert the world to the potential risk that this poses in the wake of 9-11. Are you, are you, are you just like a catfish? Do you do this just to, you know, liven up the bunch or are you just like a gobshit at heart? Well, I was, I was actually concerned that this could be a, a viable way of doing bad things. And so I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight the, the concern. And the interesting thing, once I did this, I got emails from quite high up in the US military saying, thank you. Thank you so much. We've been trying to get this message across to, to our superiors for a long time and they're not listening. And you seem to have done it <laughs> because they'd been warning of exactly the same thing. And um, so it, and I got, oh, it was such a fantastic time because I got emails from uh, countries that you wouldn't want to get 
involved in offering me large amounts of money to buy the plans for my cruise missile. <laughs> Honestly, I actually passed those emails on to our local um, security agency, this um, SIS um, Security Intelligence Service, and said, look, you know, you might want to follow this up because these people sound like they've got bad things in mind and they're trying to get information from me. And that was really interesting because they said, yes, we're aware of those emails. How do you know? I didn't. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and then they said, we'd like to come and see you. And I said, OK. And I was living quite a way out of the city in a little gravel road miles from anywhere. I said, you'll probably need me to um, send you a map of how to get here. They said, oh, we know where you live. <laughs> so it shows you what happens behind the scenes. Definitely on and, the list now. And oh, I, man, my, I don't want to be on the list. <laughs> I met my first spy, my first secret agent or whatever you might call it, investigator for the government. It was so funny. This guy rocks up and I thought, oh, you know, he's going to be a like James Bond type. Rocks up in his, his Ford Fiesta or whatever it was. Um, and he gets out and he's got nylon pants on and a one of those seersucker shirts from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a clipboard. He had a clipboard. And he comes in and he's, you know, he was a really nice guy. He had a bit of a chat and it was it really, really interesting. Probably knew like, 10 ways to kill you with that clipboard alone. Probably, yeah. yeah. He probably had them written down on the clipboard in case he forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but the funniest thing of all was I was sitting there, I was making some bullshit stuff and another little um, nondescript car rolls up and the guy gets out with another clipboard and says, Mr. Simpson, Yes. I believe you've got rocket fuel here. He was from the local council because apparently you're not allowed to keep rocket fuel in your garage. <laughs> oh, okay. So Where are you meant know. to keep it? In your ass? Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know. But no, I had to explain to him now that these post jets are powered by LPG and regular old petrol. Oh, how much of that do you have here? And I showed him and he was happy and wandered off. But it was it was really strange times, really was. Did, did um, you, you got married, didn't you, recently? Yeah, I did actually. I married. Um, I'm, I'm now what must be over two years. I've been married. Yeah, yeah, man. I've been living with the woman for 37, 38 years. We decided that the period, you know, the approval period was up. It was time to formalise the arrangement. Well, you don't want to rush these things, do you? No, yeah. no, and I'm still not sure it'll last. But she's great because she she accepts all my little crazy indulgences and things. And you know, it's um, she's as mad as I am, which always helps. Very handy. Another question is coming from uh, NJ here saying, Bruce, can you fly helis? I don't think I've seen you fly anything 500 or bigger before. I used to fly helis in the 1990s. I had a Colt Cyclone and a Colt Cyclone 2 and a Robbie Mosquito. Um, but then they're just too expensive compared to multi-rotors. You know, you crash a helicopter and you've got quite a big bill, crash a multi-rotor, and the worst you've got to do is replace a prop. Indeed. Although NJ's been flying ones recently, apparently this, these new ones have survived several crashes without any uh, incident, although they're quite small, aren't Not they? Not trying like hard enough. Not size. trying yeah. hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to fly harder. <laughs> um, how so, did you get started back in, in RC? Was it to like, hunt dinosaurs or something? Or? Oh, yeah. We, our radio gear was made out of rock. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think well, I was probably, I would have been 10 or 11 and I'd been flying free flight and control line. I wanted to get radio control and I spent an entire summer working odd jobs, getting enough money to pay for half of it. My parents coughed up the other half um, and 
it was actually a year later when they coughed up. Just be it was just at the end of the school holidays because it's the summer here is Christmas time. We have the seasons reversed from you guys in the other part of the world, which is why it's spring now. Um, but my parents agreed to pay the other half, so we sent off to good old England. We sent off at twenty five pounds, I think it was, to England to buy a set of single channel radio control gear. And of course, we have six weeks of summer holidays, so we sent that off um, at the beginning of the holidays, and the radio control set arrived on the last day of the holidays, which really annoyed me because I had to go back to school. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was a long time ago. That would have been in the 19, sometime in the 1960s. Good old single channel button on a box. Fantastic. No way. How did that work? You, intermittently. <laughs> you had a button. There was a, you had servos or escapements in the model. So when you, if you pressed and held the button, the rudder would go over to the right-hand side. As long as you held the button, it would stay on the right-hand side. When you release the button, it would then go back to neutral, but it would go over to the left-hand side first. So it would sort of flick back to the left and then back to neutral. So if you press the button twice, it would go right, and then it would hold in the left-hand position. So it was one push for right, two pushes for left. And But you had no proportional control. It was either everything or nothing. So to do a gentle turn, you had to keep pushing the button, pulsing it gently around a turn. No elevator control. We did have throttle. I had a... a um, a quick blip throttle. So if you just quickly blip the button, the throttle would cycle through idle, medium, high, medium, idle. So you could control your throttle. You were out of the hobby then for a long time, weren't you? And then you came back to it. So what made you come back so many years later? Um, it was because I moved. I was uh, so living up north of Auckland in my little cruise missile factory and then decided that I would, uh, because when I moved there, it was, it was, countryside there was no other houses for miles but as happens you get urban spread and suddenly we're in the middle of a suburb and I didn't like that so I thought oh damn it so I, I moved down to where I am now because my daughter was a teacher down here and we thought oh just a change of scene and it's a little tiny country town and um, when I got down here I was looking for a workshop for all my stuff that I used to make pulse jets and I was offered some space in a hangar at the airfield so when I got to the airfield I thought well it'd be silly not to build some models and fly wouldn't it so I did and the irony yes, is that, that while well, most people are told don't fly near airfields, the only place you can actually fly a model, many models here is at an airfield. Yeah, oh. listening, listening to when you, when you couldn't fly because they, they took your wings away uh, and you were looking for other places, it sounded really weird because we, we kind of think as New Zealanders a bit like Wales in terms of lots of rolling hills, many, many sheep. But like every single location you were looking for was within... 5k or whatever of another small airfield so it's almost impossible even though you seem to be out in the middle of nowhere everywhere had little airfields around it which seemed absolutely crazy and there's other issues too because we've got the same problems as the uk the health and safety's gone mad so used to be you could rock up to a farmer and say look if i give you a you know a crate of beer at christmas time can i use your field to fly my planes they go yeah go for it you know just close the gate when you're gone these days of course oh no no because if you had an accident i could be liable and so there's all these liabilities and things, you know, if, if you trip and, and, you know, cut your knee, you know, they can be in the in trouble. So they don't want to take the risk. I offered to lease some land off uh, some farmers and they said, no, no, we can't afford the risk, can't afford the risk. So it's a case of you're very restricted. And in New Zealand, of course, you can't fly over property without the expressed permission of the property owner. So I can't just go out and fly anywhere I want. I've got to get the permission of the landowner over I'm, I'm flying over. So by default, the entire country is an O-fly area unless you've negotiated the right to fly there. And, you know, there's none of this problem of trespass or anything. You, you just can't fly over your neighbour's house because it's illegal unless they say you can fly over my house. And New Zealand's probably one of the few countries in the world that has this. And it's lunacy because what it means is I can take a Robinson R-22 helicopter and hover over my neighbour's house at 500 feet. There's not a thing they can do about it. 
but I can't fly my Mobulus 6 over their house at 100 feet because that's a breach of their property rights. I don't know. Um, so yeah, it is difficult. So finding a place to fly is no longer easy. And if you want to fly in a national park, you've got to pay a lot of money just to apply for permission with no guarantee you're going to get it. And if you don't get the permission, you don't get your money back. So I'm just going to, as I say, when I do my tour in New Zealand, it's going to be a case of it wasn't me. I found this SD card on the side of the road and look what was on it. It'd be amazing just finding those every day, wouldn't it? Yeah. It, well, they, used, they, they still wanted that found SD card off you. That was the best bit. Oh, well, dealing with investigators is so much fun. I mean, you know, it, it, that, they're so straight-faced and serious, and, and you know you're taking the piss out of them, and they probably know it too, but they've got to be dead upright. Because the guy was saying, you know, oh, do you, do you still have that card? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, can we have it? No, I've reused it. I couldn't tell you which one it was. Oh, is there no way you could determine that? No. <laughs> and he's, he, he's, he, he believed that I found this SD card in the grass, which, of course, I did. The current arrangement I have with a farmer that allows me to fly his land is I can fly there as long as I don't crash, which is quite a tricky one to uphold. I've done it so far, mostly because he doesn't want me trampling over his crops to go find anything that goes down there, but um, hopefully, hopefully there's no one walking around as well. The other problem we have in New Zealand is, unlike the UK, we have those dry stone walls and little hedgerows. We have electric fences, which are not only ugly because they're horrible things, but if a farmer's left the electric fence on, negotiating that can be quite difficult because they don't always have the little plastic hooks you can undo and the gates and things. So you've got to try and either get under it or over it. And when you're my age, getting over it's a bit of an issue. And when you're as fat as me, getting under it's an issue. So you don't really want to land in a paddock which may have a bull in it or which is surrounded by an electric fence because accessing your, your gear is a bit hard. That's true. Oh. Plus, cows eat your planes, as I found out. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. No. Oh. Yeah, well, I, I I was flying one of the, you can't see it from here one of these tiny little wings this big, um, just around and in the next field were a bunch of cows and I was sort of coming in and it only takes a little gust of wind because I was coming in low I was going to come around for a landing and there's this hedge right away and it sort of spiraled down hit the floor and um, I looked over and it was just kind of like. Um, you know, if you've ever been in a playground and there's a fight, you just see this massive circle of children going around, fight, fight, fight. It was like that. Cows just arranged themselves all around in a circle. I'm like, my plane's in the middle. I could tell it was in the middle because I could look through my goggles and just see this tongue over my camera and stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, they love them. I got that plane back, but they ate the lens of the camera and they stood on it and they licked it a lot. <laughs> so it was like this slobbery so, plane with a hoof print in it. I managed to get I got back. a question for you guys. Um, do you not have ground outside? Is everything in the UK paved? You've got floor. It's not a floor, it's the ground. The floor is where you have like wood or lino or, or vinyl or, or carpet or something. That's a floor. What's with this floor outside thing? I don't think no, we say no, floor no. outside. We say ground. Yeah, you said it, no, you said it hit the floor. Did I? Oh. Well, I mean, like okay. I've heard it in other people. The UK, you know, like someone um, outside, they get down to get on the floor. I mean, um, it just seems very odd from a Kiwi perspective where we only have floors indoors. Well, no, I mean, like floor is like what you stand on. You know, you've got ground floor, first floor. I mean, the Americans <laughs> don't agree with us with that, but, you know. <laughs> it's I've interesting. Never noticed, I've never noticed I've said it, actually. I've, I've always, because there is a distinction. Yeah, floor is. I inside, mean, some people say hit the deck. As well, yeah. and you know, a deck's, decks on, on a boat. boat. That's even weirder, yeah. isn't it? Or ship, really. That's yeah. interesting thing about this whole YouTube thing, isn't it? Like someone complained yesterday that I put, I spelt terror, terrorize with a Z, or in America a Z instead of an S, because they use the the US spelling rather than the English Must spelling. Be. 
Yeah, and there's all sorts of words like colour and labour and, and, and endeavour and things like that, which are spelled quite differently. And these days you've got to think before you write something because, you know, someone's going to complain because you've spelled it wrong because they're in a different country. And I chose to use the, the Z because I was just try, playing with the YouTube algorithm a little bit, see whether it prefers American or, or non-American spelling. Um, but someone did actually complain about I'm using a Z instead of, instead of an S. And you've got to be so careful because terminology, words mean different things. You know, like bum means something different in the US that it does in, in, um, in the UK. And, and then there's fanny in the UK, US means bottom. And it's like, it's so, it's so different. You've got to be so careful and, and choose your words carefully when you're dealing with an international audience, as I'm sure we are on this program. Very international. Oh, it's moment. our buddy Bot Grinder. Bot Grinder, you've won the internet for the day, mate. So, Bruce, I haven't seen you playing with much new stuff um, lately. Have, have, you, no. have you been playing with stuff like uh, EdgeTX kind of instead of OpenTX oh, or the... Um, I forgot. No, I'm having a dementia moment now because now I can't remember the radios I'm talking about. Oh, Express LRS, that sort of stuff, yeah. all, the, all the new bits it's to play It's interesting. Uh, one of the problems we've got in New Zealand is our supply chain's completely screwed. I mean, I've ordered stuff and it's like months, you know, not the normal few days to a week because we have such limited amount of um, shipping coming in and out and air traffic's virtually zero because our borders are closed. So there's very little in the way of stuff coming in and out, which means as far as reviewing stuff goes, I've had to sort of put that to one side for a while because by the time I get a product, everyone else has reviewed it and it's out of production, <laughs> which is kind of pointless. So um, one video I've got coming up shortly is the um, one which is the best FPV system in terms of analog Fat Shark and DJI, because everyone, of course, is asking, you know, and we've got the little factions, this is better, that's better. So what I've done is I've taken a step back and I've looked at the technology, I've looked at the applications, I've looked at the real world results, looked at the costs, and instead of telling people what's best, I'm trying to produce some videos that explain to how they can choose which is best for them. Because everyone has done a piece of the puzzle, but no one's put it together and there's no go to it. And I'm going to go into FPV, what should I buy? Um, and I'm hoping that that video, and I'm also going to a more technical level, explaining why the FP, why the DJI system produces these results and the SharkBite system produces those results, which are quite different. And so for the time being, I've got a lot of videos in the can for RC model reviews, which are more of the tutorial, the explanation, the Make, taking complicated things and trying to make them simple so that you understand the products you're using and you're better equipped to make a purchasing decision. Because there's plenty of people doing reviews. When I started, I was pretty much the only guy doing reviews. And so it was easy. But now you've got every man and his dog. And um, I mean, Curry does some really good reviews. A lot of people doing really good reviews. There's no point in me reinventing the wheel six months after because of the supply chain issue. So I'm, I'm pivoting a little bit towards being more of an information resource. Because the other thing, as you probably know, is um, when you do a review and you get some views, that's fine. And then that video is basically dead in the water. It's not going to produce any residuals because no one wants to see a review of the Mobius HD recording camera, you know, five, six, seven years later. <laughs> but I want to produce more of a residual income for my retirement. So I'm going to do videos like some of the things like Ohm's Law. That video is out, I think, a million views or something. And it's, it's just Ohm's Law. It doesn't change from year to year, but it's a People have found it a useful video. I've had university lecturers saying, can we include this in our lectures? You know, stuff like that, which is good. It has a, a long lifetime from a, a, an earnings point of view. So I'm going to pivot more around to the stuff that's going to be knowledge and information that will be there forever. And hopefully people will keep watching it so that when I'm old and frail, um, I might still be making a dollar or two from my YouTube channel. That's if YouTube still even has monetization then. Yeah. It was... It was like when I was trained to be a mechanic, your Ozor video came up, and Eric the car guy 
came up as well, which was kind of really weird. So I just thought I'd point that out to you. And it's funny how many, how many people watch filter. the same videos. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. how many people watch the same videos. Because I look at other people's, you know, when they've got something on screen, you can see, oh, they watch that too. And you, I'm on channels where I would think no one would be interested. And people go, oh, hi, XG, good to see you here. You know, I'm like, what? <laughs> when you leave a you comment. You know who yeah. I am? Yeah. yeah. What the hell? Oh. Curry Kitten, you got anything? Um, we... Have I got anything? But uh, audio geek, there are more whiteboard videos coming. I've got an electronic whiteboard. Well, I've got a tablet, but you know, like a digitizing zero. tablet that I use. Ooh. And that's much simpler than standing in the cold, you know, sometimes only 18 degrees in the workshop, standing out there and with a uh, white mark, whiteboard marker pen. And my whiteboard failed epically for some reason. It just stopped working. <laughs> That's a shame. No, I'm just looking forward to, uh, you know, I always enjoy the content. I, I like the mix of stuff. You know, I, I, I like watching your RC model reviews stuff from a, a technical standpoint and uh, looking at stuff that I may not have thought of. But um, I always enjoy when you're out with your friends, um, mostly watching them fly, as you've explained, if you get them to hold the camera, it just doesn't work. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I like that because one thing, I mean – me, Jack, and the others haven't met up in ages, mostly because I had to go to hospital last time we had a meet-up. But, uh, yeah, just getting together with, with friends and flying is something I just... It's so alien to me at the moment. It's just something I haven't done in, in several years because of COVID and, and various mm. things about being away and not having the stuff. So, yeah, I, I like to live vicariously. Yeah, that's uh, the thing. I tr- a, lot of people, a lot of people do enjoy the fact that they feel like they're part of that group, which is really important. Yeah. And that's one of the things that got me into trouble with the model flying body here in New Zealand years ago because we started up, we said, oh, you can you can join our club. You know, just say you want to be a member, you can join it. And, of course, the National Model Flying Body at the time says, you can't have all these foreign members in your club. You know, no. And so they passed a special rule that said no club shall have more than 20% of its members outside of New Zealand. A special rule just for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's great. Because uh, so, we, we had 600 members overseas, you know. It was great. You've got to remember as well that you – your videos, people like you who are on the other side of the world, help see us through the winter. Yeah. Like, and um, my, uh, I, I've got a few quick questions for you. What are your views on that slag, Andy RC? <laughs> Andy RC? Yeah. I like his stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, um, there's not much I don't like in the hobby. Most people have got something to contribute. And I don't watch He's Andy's great, stuff regularly. He? Yeah, I don't watch it regularly, but he, I, when I do watch it, I really enjoy it. And again, it's yeah. a different perspective. Everyone's got something to add, a slightly different view. And I, you know, it all comes up as a synergy. If you put it yeah. all together, it's greater than the sum of its parts. And he, so there's, there's, the only person I think is terrible is Bot Grinder. I'd never watch any of his stuff. No, mate. He's he's mad, isn't he? Um, he's great. I like, yeah, because Andy disagreed with you on the Hubson Spyhawk or whatever it was. That must you, have been a long time ago. Yeah, because you hated yeah. it and he thought it was great. So yeah, and yeah. he he won. He won. I just <laughs> I, I just let you know for my buddy Andy. Well, that's a great thing. When I do a review, I always say, look, go and watch other reviews. I'm just one point of view. And also you get the reviewer's curse thing. I don't know if, if you've noticed it, but, you know, if something is going to be broken or not work properly, I'm going to get that particular unit. That's going to come to me for whatever reason. It just happens, you know. So you're, I always make the point, I can only review what's in front of me. Yeah. You, you're like the bloke who buys like a Snickers bar and there's no peanuts in it. I couldn't believe <laughs> it. Like like some of the stuff, like, you know, that, that even the the. Dr- the drone like build guide you know you got the old 
um, oh, what was it called? The ZMR and whatnot. And you pull open these motors and one of them's got a four mil shaft. Hmm. And you're just like, <laughs> how the f- <laughs> do you do that? Like, you know. Yeah, it's it's all part of the rich tapestry of the hobby. It's fantastic. Yeah. I got um, the reverse reviewer's curse one time when I I did a bunch of these little sort of toothpick and, and whoops and they were all using these crazy board uh, crazy BF four boards and everybody kept saying mine blew up, mine blew up, mine blew up. And I've had like ten or twelve of them and they're all fine, absolutely perfect every time. So I, I can only say my stuff's been fine, but everything else normally I touch turns to poop. Like every every uh, Express LRS thing I've had to touch so far is spending ninety nine percent of the video trying to fix all the weird issues to make it work again and unbrick it so I can actually <laughs> use it. And I'm I'm also one of those guys like my original Tyrannus, which was one of the first off the production. Well, I think it was a pre production. It's still running the original version of the software, version whatever it is. Way back, I've never updated it because it just still works every day. I just turned on and it goes. Why would I want to change that? I mean, every time you update something, you always got the risk of a new bug or something coming along. And mm-hmm. my demands of a radio system are not that great. I mean, I'm not flying, you know massively complex models and open tx has been perfectly reliable for me because people say what are edge tx well uh, why would i want edge tx one of the things that i hate most of all in the hobby is color touch screens on transmitters it was interesting when we were at the lake the other day bill's got the, the fly sky radio with a color touch screen he had to go and stand under a tree to change models because he couldn't see it in the sun and and i love a just a good old monochrome LCD. I mean, without a touchscreen, it's so quick and simple to use. You can use it in blazing sunlight. If it's backlit, you can use it at night. But these colour screens, some you get out in the bright New Zealand sun, you just can't see the damn things. You've got to create shade and so forth. And I, I, it's a fantastic, all these features, but I'm just a pragmatist. I just want it to do the basic job, control my model and let me do basic changes. I don't need all that extra complication. And because it's, it's interesting, I think now we've all got a radio. And the radios we've got all work very well, but manufacturers are still trying to sell us products. So they're adding features and, and bells and whistles and dangly bits and shiny bits you can polish, but we don't need those. In fact, my favorite radio at the moment is the little um, jumper T-Light. It's small, it's convenient, it does everything I want. And with my shaky hands, it has really light sticks, which means my tremors are not so bad. And it's just a fantastic little radio. I've got a, the Radio Master, they did, the bling one they did for me. Um, I, I, Bill's using it at the moment because I don't need or want a big radio. I just want the little one. It works really well. So the manufacturers have got some really difficult times ahead. They've done such a great job to date. It's hard to improve on that. Yeah, and the radio is not something you... You change, is it? Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got a radio and this works brilliantly. Here's another new shiny one. But it's only for like new people coming in that are going to buy it because you're not going to like, well, I've got all my model memories here and it seems to work fine. And do I really need that extra switch or that extra little bin? And how many new bot- people are coming in? We're not mm-hmm. getting the new people that we were. Yeah. I bet Bot Grinder's got some um, medicine that will help your tremors and stuff. That's what people have suggested, but like I don't yeah, have enough troubles with authorities at the moment. Yeah, it'd be amazing <laughs> if he came over and it was like the X-Chat and Bot Grinder show. It'd be like... I, I'll tell you who I do miss. I'll tell you, of all the channels on YouTube I miss the most, it's Spotra 50. I, I'm unfamiliar. No. You haven't oh, seen Spotra 50? Those guys I might have it, it is I, the best channel ever, apart from Currican and this one, to come out of the UK. <laughs> I feel they'd, oh. they'd perhaps fall foul of the sexual harassment laws. <laughs> the way they used <laughs> well, to no, be they <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. But their, um, 
their their their, their flying was great fun, and they never went a video without many crashes and and lots of laughs. You, you again, you you felt like you were part of the little squad when those guys were out and, and being with them and just having a great laugh. I mean, and, it always happens when we get together. It's always like yeah. there will be crashes, and that's yeah. that's that's the fun part, isn't it? Yeah, and if, yeah. if you think Ron's clever with his models, Charlie the Chimp, man, some of the stuff he built, unbelievable. And the fact that some of it actually flew was even, and he could only turn left. <laughs> I get that. I'm a terrible line of sight fly. Left is definitely easier than turning right. It's funny. Everyone prefers to turn left. I don't know why that is, it, but it's, it's a because thing. pushing pushing your thumb in. inwards is easier than, than pulling outwards, I think. We just reverse that's, your that's ailerons theory. Then. I could do that. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't do so well when I used the AXN like that. I'm yeah. just like I'm turning, but it keeps turning the wrong way. That's weird. I, do you have you flown 3D fixed wing? No. You should, that's a skill I recommend everybody tries because I, I I see so many videos on YouTube where someone's got a model test flying it for the first time. The ailerons are reversed. They roll it inverted and panic and pull on full up elevator, and the results are obvious. But when you learn to fly 3D, you disassociate your controls from up and down. And like your elevator is either towards the canopy or towards the wheels. So I, a couple of the very few occasions that I have test flown a model with the ailerons reversed, I haven't crashed it because when I've rolled it inverted, I've pushed in down elevator naturally towards the wheels. And it becomes an instinctive thing. You don't think about it. So you avoid that sort of sudden smash into the ground. And it's saved a couple of my models when I've had the ailerons reversed because someone hasn't pre-flighted them properly. Not me, but someone else hasn't. Right, guys, that is all we've got time for. You've been listening to that show now. What you may have heard may or may not be true and is probably a work of fiction. Anything uh, said that may have harmed you or hurt your little snowflake feelings was meant in jest. And we can only apologise on behalf of the people on the show. You've been joined by everyone's favourite curry kitten. Goodbye. Our biggest guest so far, X Jet. I've been Brighton Till I Fly, <laughs> and you've been listening to this crock of shit, and it's called Let's Drone Out. Thank you to all our Patreons. Good night. Telemetry lost.